Welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. If you're active on LinkedIn or even looking to get better results, we have a guest today that is a global LinkedIn expert that will show you how. This is episode number 12, and it starts right now. by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, visit araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. So normally we do a little bit more of an intro, but today we have a jam-packed episode on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. As Ryan mentioned, we're lucky enough to have a global LinkedIn expert who's going to talk to us about social proof, success stories to help your business drive revenue, and some of the biggest pitfalls to avoid. Ryan, let's bring him in. Today, we have a third stool joining us at the bar during this happy hour. Let me introduce our next guest, Nathaniel Bibby. Nat is the managing director of Bibby Consulting Group, a global digital marketing consulting firm which was built a reputation on delivering cutting-edge strategies, including Australia's first LinkedIn generation service. Nathaniel's won Best Use of LinkedIn at the Social Media Marketing Awards in 2019. He also hosts LinkedIn Heroes, and he's featured interviews, for example, with uh, Grant Cardone, which is a great one. Go check that out. The Social Media Marketing Institute recently also ranked Nathaniel number one on their top 20 LinkedIn experts in Asia Pacific for 2019. Nat is staying a socially distant 12,000 miles away from us in Perth, Australia. Nat, welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. Yes, I'm on the happy hour. It's a bit early for you guys, isn't it, for happy hour? You, you know, it's never too early to, uh, to crack <laughs> open any sort of beverage with that. You know, Nat, do you have any specific beverage in hand? I have a beer in the fridge I can uh, could grab quite easily. Um, do you guys have a beverage in hand? I'm curious, being that it's, what, 6 o'clock in the morning there? <laughs> Not quite that early. But, you know, when we do this, we kind of like to have a little beverage. You know, one of the things personally I like and knowing, uh, you know, speaking with you in Australia, we talked about this before briefly, Nat. I love Shiraz. Uh, I think yeah. Australia is a great country for wines. And there's a, a, a little wine. I should say there is a, a local steakhouse here that I love. And they have this wine that you can only get. It's a... Uh, it's called black pepper. It's a Shiraz. Now, I'm not familiar with the, I believe it's called the Barossa Valley. Are you familiar? Yes, with the Barossa Valley. Barossa. Yes. Oh, some lovely wines down there in South Australia. South mm. Australia. All right. So yeah. this is a, E&E is a, the winery. And so that is my favorite. Chris, what, what do you got going on? You know, it, it is still early stateside. So I just went with a simple mimosa. I couldn't crack anything else right now. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got our beverages in hand. Let's get started. He's Ryan Smith. I'm Chris Casale, and our guest is Nat Bibby. Thank you for joining us this week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to our podcast, welcome. And if you're a repeat listener, thanks for coming back. Hopefully, you know by now marketing is a big passion of ours, and we hope you'll enjoy this episode. Our goal is to help your business achieve results so you can reach your goals. In this episode, we're going to be discussing top LinkedIn strategies. And, you know, Nat, before we kind of get into that, of the two of us, I would say Ryan is more of the social media guy. I'm a little bit more private, maybe a little bit more susceptible to the vulnerability that you expose yourself to with social media. So, and even with that, I am on LinkedIn. I guess my first question for you is, why LinkedIn? There's so many platforms for businesses and entrepreneurs to choose from. What made you pick LinkedIn as the primary platform? Uh, great question. Well, look, I started out in my career in sales and you know it was very commission driven and learned very early on that the best salespeople get the, the most and the best quality leads um so you know I, when i've adapted with the evolution of online marketing from seo to adwords and when social media came along i'm looking at facebook thinking i'm not quite sure how i'm gonna you know get business out of posting you know what i had for breakfast and going out drinking on the weekends so when linkedin came along i just literally thought oh here we go this is a business so, you know, networking site, which is totally appropriate for you to contact, you know, people, key decision makers within organizations to set up appointments. 
um, which wouldn't be appropriate on Facebook. And to be honest, when I started out my LinkedIn career, if you had a look at my Facebook uh, page, it probably wasn't doing much for my credibility. It was it was most of my uh, partying days from university and things like that. So that, that that's why I, I decided to go for LinkedIn. But let me tell you, at the moment, I mean, it's getting more organic traffic than uh, organic results than any other platform out there. It's uh, by far the biggest networking site for business people in history and it's growing at two members every single second session time the amount of time people spend on the platform has tripled in the last 12 months so you know it's it's definitely if you're in business to business or you want to advance your career or you're looking for any opportunities that are in the professional realm there's really no comparison whatsoever out there that then linkedin it's really got a dominant market share and it's it's going from strength to strength it looks like it is continuously evolving, uh, LinkedIn. And a lot of times when big companies buy one of the products that we love, I always get a little nervous. And in this case, it was when Microsoft acquired LinkedIn. I- I'll be honest with you, it's a little nervous. I would say it actually has improved. I think LinkedIn has, has grown. It's become a-, a great platform that you talked about. Over the recent years, what are some of those sort of changes or additions that you've noticed LinkedIn has done that either you like or you just think are the most valuable that you can do on LinkedIn? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting when they first started LinkedIn, it was going to be a recruitment tool and people would post their CV. And so there was only 200 content creators to start with, Tony Robbins, Richard Branson, guys like this, Bill Gates. Um, and then they they said, okay, we're going to let people write articles and you know we can let people decide based on engagement, which ones show up in the newsfeed. So it's only more recent you know, that we actually are able to post things like video content, you know, which I, I found really exciting because you, you watch what happens on the other social media sites and then LinkedIn do it two or three years later and they generally follow the, the same sort of trend. So I, I found it quite easy to predict what's going to happen on LinkedIn. I was generating a lot of leads, 100 leads a month or thereabouts without posting any content, you know. So I've got a, I've still got the system where we, we do direct outreach and get really good results. Um, whereas a lot, I think a lot of people come over from Instagram or Facebook and they didn't really know the background of LinkedIn. They just think it's a content play and that's it. But there is a big networking side to it as well. But um, the ad, advertising, like lead generation forms, website retargeting, uh, things like that have be, have made a big difference. We've just got LinkedIn Stories, which is you know same as Instagram Stories here in Australia and in Brazil and the UAE. They're uh, rolling it out in those three countries to start with, and then globally. I, I think that's going to be huge. It'll be very similar to what Instagram Stories was like at the start. And I'm also a beta tester for LinkedIn Live, which you know I think live um, videos you know it's, it does really well on Facebook. So we can see that it's going to do well on LinkedIn. But even you know if you look at on TV. You know, live sports, live shows, they always do exceptionally well. They're all about giving the user a better experience. And so these sort of things just make, you know, my job a lot easier because people are more engaged on the platform. You know, you mentioned that individuals are coming over from other platforms like Facebook and Twitter and things like that. And I think one of the common mistakes that we see in the space is that entrepreneurs and businesses treat these platforms as if they're all the same, right? They, the type of message they publish mm-hmm. on Twitter is the same as they publish on Facebook and LinkedIn. And and obviously, that's that's not the right approach because different social platforms have different strengths. What are some of the things that you see users are doing correctly versus incorrectly on a tool like LinkedIn? Well, I, I think it, it, it does depend on your industry and your brand and, you know, everyone's got a different audience. But you're exactly right. The nuances of the platform are really important. What, the, what you're going to understand about the LinkedIn algorithm is it's still very immature, which means that it's quite straightforward to not manipulate, I guess, but just to under, if you understand the nuances of how LinkedIn serves content, then you can just do a few things that make sure that the algorithm doesn't miss it miss your content so you need to get like engagement relatively quickly you know within the first hour there's things you can do to encourage people to do that for example like if you show up in people's notifications so if you tag relevant people in the post or use some hashtags or obviously post in the in the morning where your audience is not in the evening things like that um, will make a big difference but I think like there's this, there's this big stigma that it has to be very professional and very professional like you know writing an email a formal email or a legal document and it's still a social media site so there's a balance yes okay it's more professional than Facebook Instagram I don't suggest that you post pictures of your you know yourself down at the beach with you know in your bikini drinking Heineken's but um, yeah actually like you'll get you might get in trouble if you do that on LinkedIn 
But at the same time, you don't want it to be like long sentences, long words, boring. It's still social media. It's about, you know, networking. It's not necessarily just about selling yourself. And, and I think, you know, if you make it too businessy, it's very boring. And you don't want to be boring on social media, as you guys know. Um, there's still an entertainment aspect to it. And, um, yeah, so it's just about finding the balance. But, I mean, on Facebook, like... You know, I don't know many business professionals that are getting much results unless they're actually investing in in the ads um, platform, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but you know, the days of of going viral or reaching an, an audience um, that that's followed your page without spending any money are pretty much over on Facebook. Uh, whereas on LinkedIn, you can quite easily do that. Do you see that users that are, since it's being tested now in Australia is one of the countries, what are your thoughts so far? Are they taking advantage of it? Is it becoming sort of Instagram-ish or are they sort of incorporating that maybe that fun business side of things on your end that you're able to see that really, which you're lucky, you know, most of the world doesn't have access to those tools yet? Yeah, um, to be honest, the creators haven't, like, it's only been a few weeks, so it's not, uh, the content on there is not fantastic yet. And to be honest, the functionality is not fantastic either. So, you know, like, it's going to, I guess this is why they're rolling it out to three countries. They're, they're going to have to make a lot of improvements. Having said that, you know, we're reaching a lot of eyeballs, given that it's only three countries. I think that it's really weird for me that the, the you know, the creative guys on YouTube and Instagram that, you know, are very, very talented haven't come over to LinkedIn and use their skills there. We don't actually see a lot of creative talent on LinkedIn. It's very strange. And maybe they're just not used to communicating in a business context. And then I think what what happens is as the algorithm learns to serve the users better content, then people are forced to be better. Because, you know, while the you know, while you can just get a bunch of engagement and the content doesn't necessarily have to be that impactful, then there's a lot of crap that gets to the top of the news feed. So, you know, that was the situation a year and a half, two years ago. The reason that we're seeing people spend three times as much time on the platform is because LinkedIn's algorithm just gets better and better, which means we all get a better experience. And, you know, you have to be good in order to, to get anywhere. So I was curious how you're using the publishing platform on LinkedIn and LinkedIn Live, because one of the things that we've talked about repeatedly on the podcast is the benefit of SEO, search engine optimization. And one of the questions we often get at some of these small business seminars is, you know, I'm a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, but small, and I don't have a whole staff of people. So if I'm going to write content or I'm going to create content, do I publish it on my blog? Do I publish it on LinkedIn? Do I go to, you know, certain things I think are a little bit easier. Like if you're doing a video, YouTube is a very easy Mm. platform to use. But when you're talking about other types of content, a lot of people like to keep the ownership in-house as opposed to pushing out to some of these social platforms. So they'll create it on their blog and then share it on LinkedIn. Yeah. But there's alternative paths yeah. to that. What are you seeing as the best way to success? Well, I made a decision very early on not to post the content on my blog and to post the content on LinkedIn. People said to me, you, I must be crazy because I don't technically own the, co- the content, right? Well, I'm not, I'm not, first of all, I'm not that precious about my content. But second of all, like on my website, I can't go and contact 50 people and send them an invitation to connect with my website. Whereas on LinkedIn, like I can send people in my target market an invitation to connect, which, you know, is a very mutually beneficial thing. And uh, they, they then they're in my audience. They start seeing my content. You know, I'm very proactive about who I connect with so that I have a really targeted audience that sees my content. And that's why I love LinkedIn so much. It's not like on, you know, Instagram or, or, or YouTube, you can't, you know, search for job titles and industries and say, hey, would you like, I'd like to invite you to follow me. Kind of whoever follows you, follows you. So you have very little control over how targeted it is. And I mean, like it works definitely for B2C, but from a B2B perspective, like you could quite easily get a lot of traffic to a website, as you guys know from SEO, but you can't really decide, you know, what industry these clients are in, you know, how much have they got to spend and all that kind of stuff. So if you're in an industry where you want to target like, you only want to deal with dentists that have got a budget of $5,000 a month, for example, then, you know, you're going to have to deal with all this, this other stuff when you get inbound leads on your website or any other platform. Whereas on LinkedIn, you can literally connect with 50 or 100 dentists every single day. And then what will happen is as you get more connections in that industry, when you go to connect with the next dentist, they'll see, oh, wow, he's connected with so many people in my industry. He must be the expert for helping dentists with their online marketing, for example. And and they will see your content as well. So if you make the content relevant, then it's a really, it is a winning formula. 
when you connect with people or people, I should say, reach out to you, proactively try to reach out to you, what is your strategy with connections? Do they, I, I've heard other sort of LinkedIn experts say, okay, I will only connect with people. They have to have a picture. They have to have a, a proper headline. They have to personalize. Everybody has different sort of methods that they use with what they see on the LinkedIn invite. Do you have any sort of checklists that people have to have when they reach out to you? Not really. Like I'm, I'm like I've uh, reached the limit of 30,000 connections. And so I have to constantly go in and, and find, you know, people that are less relevant to disconnect with so I can keep connecting with people that are relevant. So I get a lot of inbound connection requests. Generally, if people are um, mentioned that, you know, they, they've consumed some of my content or, or they know me personally or been to an event or been through my, my training, then I accept them. Um, if they've just pressed connect, I generally don't. Having said that, you know, if um, Richard Branson sent me a connection request and he didn't have a photograph and didn't write anything, I'd probably accept it. <laughs> so, you know, like you just got to and, and while, while your connections are low, like if it's if you've got less than, say, three or four thousand connections, it makes sense to be growing your network because as you grow it, you will be able to reach more people because you only really see your first degree, second degree connections some of your third degree, depending on, on, but you don't want to connect with people that are completely irrelevant. You've got to ask yourself, is this person likely to be a client or connected to a client, like a potential client? Are they likely to know somebody that could be a potential client? If they're completely, you know, relevant on the other side of the planet and um, you don't service that market at all, then, you know, there's not necessarily any point. And, and a lot of these people that are sending you connection requests, keep in mind, they're doing it for self-serving reasons. So a lot of them will be, you know, spamming you, sending you emails all the time or recruitment letters or, you know, just, so you just got to be mindful of your network. Otherwise, very quickly, LinkedIn could become a bad experience for you. And I get it all the time. People say, LinkedIn's rubbish. It's all sales letters and recruiters. And that's just attributed to the people they've connected with. They, they shouldn't have been sitting there being reactive, saying accept, accept, accept. You know, because their experience on LinkedIn is very different to somebody who's been proactive because it's all about down to their network, you know, which is it's it doesn't seem so obvious um, when they're doing it. But when you explain it to people like that is it's quite clear, really. You do see a lot of that on the platform. I notice I get a lot of those and, and you can almost see it coming when they send you the connection request. If you, as soon as you hit accept, you're going to get that uh, DM about the platform they're sponsoring or, you know, how they want to engage with you. And they always do it under the guise of, you know, if you're a fit for this, we'd love to help you, you know, <laughs> obviously that's, that's not the goal of it. It's sales driven. From your perspective, yeah. are there tips, you know, maybe not for engaging with somebody, but things that you advise people that they should have in their profiles, like guides to, or, or keys to success? Yeah, like if you're using it to get more clients, you just need to stay away from putting a version of your CV up there. It needs to be written for the customer. I mean, it, it's amazed me that people spend $20,000, $30,000 getting a website done and then they don't take any time to write their LinkedIn profile, you know, with customer-centric language. Like it's not about you. Like when somebody comes through your profile, they don't care that you started in this career and then you had to change your heart and you studied this and you like – they want to know what's the benefit to them, what's the problem that you solve. And so, like, I think most business professionals, that the, the problem starts before that. They don't know, actually know who their target audience is yet or they haven't made a decision to specialize in any particular niche or, or you know what the unique value proposition is. I mean, this is common market, marketing stuff. But when you're capturing somebody's attention on the LinkedIn profile, they're just going to read the first sentence, perhaps the last sentence of your about section. They're going to scan the middle. Unless you um, capture their attention for something they already care about, then they're just going to leave the profile and, and assume, you know, they're, they're probably just going to assume that you're like a lot of the other people that, you know, connect with them and then send them a sales letters. When, you know, talking about some mistakes that people make, I think it's good to to point this out and to better understand it because we can all learn from it. One thing I see, and I, I think I believe I even have this on my own, do you think it matters when people are writing their about section, whether it's in first person or it's written in third person? Does that matter? Yeah, I, th I think it should be in first person personally. I I've asked, when people have it in third person, I ask them, I say, what, why did you do that? And quite often they'll say that they... Uh, want to seem authoritative um, and want to build credibility and quite often it, c it can have the opposite effect i think people will have like will think that um either they're not behind the profile in which case why would they you know contact them anyway or you know it can come across a little bit arrogant i think if you could do a personalized about section at least and then and perhaps you know in the experience section then you can talk more of in the th third person about the company 
then you give a chance you give give people a chance to get to know you which is really what they're on social media for whereas some sort of blurb about somebody you know it doesn't have the same personalized approach um it definitely works for some people you know like i mean like if you're a celebrity entrepreneur and you're on tv every night like you know i don't think it's that big a deal to be honest social proof's really important like if you've if you haven't got social proof to you know the extent where people are going to look at your profile and go, oh wow, yeah, I want to connect with this guy, then this sort of thing is really important. You want to um, you know be personalized, be human, show some vulnerability, and and show the audience that you understand their problem. You know, because like in online marketing is a great example. Like in SEO, most businesses have wasted a lot of money on on digital marketing in the past, and it's very frustrating. And so if you if you nail that problem straight straight away and say, are you frustrated with not knowing what your return on investment is from your online marketing, people go, yeah, well, yeah, and then they keep reading, and then you can start talking about the value you provide rather than just getting into the, you know, this this the salesy corporate, it's all about me sort of spiel. What are your thoughts on LinkedIn premium membership? Do you feel that professionals yeah, have to have that, or do you look at that as, you know, just kind of a nice to have? Well, look, it, it, you'll probably know if you need it because LinkedIn will say you've looked at too many profiles or you'll want to search by, you know, company size, for example, and you, you have to upgrade to do that. But there's an illusion that, you know, people are scrolling through LinkedIn going, oh, why aren't I getting any customers that if they upgrade that all of a sudden, you know, their audience is going to jump out of the computer and throw their credit cards on the floor. And that's just not the way it works. Um, you have to, if you're not already um, using LinkedIn to get more customers, upgrading to premium is not necess- not going to really change anything, despite what LinkedIn might tell you. So you can get it working without upgrading to premium. And I think once you've done that, you'll see the value in, in upgrading because you'll be able to reach more profiles. You'll be able to search with a little bit more targeted criteria and you'll be able to see who's viewing your profile. Just things like that, um, which are nice to have. So, you know, it's definitely worthwhile if you're if you're using it for lead generation and you're getting return on investment. It's a no brainer. Now, I know you've been doing video for, for quite a while, starting off at, say, YouTube and obviously now with, you know, Instagram and LinkedIn. LinkedIn Live, we kind of mentioned this earlier on. You you do have access to that. Do you is that something yeah. that you incorporate as part of sort of your in your your marketing platform? Yeah. Yeah, like when I saw it coming out, I knew it was going to be quite big. It was going to get a lot of engagement just based on what's fa- happened with Facebook. And I looked at I got it a little bit later than a lot of the other beta testers and I looked at the sort of things they were doing and there was no one actually doing a regular series like it you know on other channels you would have a, a regular show so I decided before I even got LinkedIn live that I would do a series called Monday Night Live every week 6 p.m I would go live no matter what and then people would know you know oh look it's six o'clock on Monday let's see if Nathaniel's on um, so I've been doing that since I got LinkedIn live and now I have a guest on each week um, who you know it's, it's designed for entrepreneurs but it's great because when you jump on, it's like, where, which city are you tuning in from? Drop your questions in the comments. We're bringing questions up. We're talking about them. And so it's a bit more of a, you know, a bit more of a party than, the, you know, just your standard interview. Uh, I think I think live is is a big thing, but it's, it, I don't think like you can do it like ad hoc and expect to, you know, to work wonders. I think it's something that you've got to consider, like, do you want to be consistent with it or not? Because if you are consistent with it and people know what to expect, they'll start to enjoy it and you know, you can you can get um, quite good at um, encouraging engagement, which obviously means that you'll get more reach after the live and with people that watch it later. With the the whole video concept, obviously, video is the you know way that people consume content the most. It's taking off. If you put video, and it almost doesn't even matter what sort of platform, you're going to expand your reach, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, whatnot. For you, you've been doing this a while. You know, Chris and I, yeah. you know, we've kind of hesitated with the whole video, and we'll open ourselves out on this one. What is it that you know that holds people back? That in your experience. From doing video, let alone forget, you know, and then getting into live video, knowing that, hey, there's a lot of positivities that can come from it. But crossing that sort of chasm, you know, what helps or what do you tell people about video? Sure. Well, I think like, you know, it's just the same with um, entrepreneurship in general. Like um, we, uh, there's a lot of us that have a fear of failure and it, it really comes from other people's opinions. So like if you're, you know, thinking about doing a video all of a sudden, because you, you haven't done it before, you're not going to be that good. You think about what 
your parents are going to say, what people, your friends are going to say when they look at it. And then you start to second guess yourself and you don't want to do it because you don't want to mess up. And then they'll say, oh, what'd you do that for? That was stupid. And, and to be honest, like that's exactly what people said to me when I started. Like it's happened to me consistently since I started doing videos. First two years, people kept saying to me, what are you doing all these videos for? Because I wasn't really getting much reach, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, started to, started to get better at it. But you got to keep in mind on average that after 10 seconds of somebody pressing play, if somebody presses play, on average, 50% of people are gone. That's, that's the social media statistic. After a minute, 80% of people are gone. So, like, it has to be good. But the reality is most of these people that are worrying about what people are going to think, there's not going to be many people watching their videos to start with anyway. Because people's attention spans is too short. The only the only way to get good at content marketing is just to post more. Like if you want to be the best, then you should be posting five times a day. Because you every time you do it, you, you learn and you learn through failure. This is what this is what social media is like. I mean, it's a bit like that in entrepreneurship. But every video you do, you learn something not to do. You know, and now like I feel pretty comfortable that I can hop on a live and or more or less wing it based on the you know experience I've had. But also like I'm okay if I make a mistake. I know how to pick it up. I know how to laugh you know i can laugh at it and i think that um it just comes from practice like with anything you know competence builds confidence do you have any success stories or business opportunities and obviously you do that you could share that's that you know is a direct result of you just being present and active on linkedin yeah um i mean the, i pretty much just get all my opportunities from linkedin to be honest i think with my interview series linkedin heroes this might be quite interesting for the audience like, I, you know, I've got some pretty big names that have agreed to do uh, interviews with me. And it's quite exciting because, you know, I've got like Dr. John Martini, and then, you know, I'm getting like this, this other guy, the famous entrepreneur in Australia, Jules Lund, and then, you know, some other guys. And it's become quite exciting. And what it is, is that a lot of them are very successful on Instagram and Facebook, and then actually not haven't quite cracked LinkedIn yet. So given that it's like a, a series that's on a platform which some guys on other platforms haven't quite understood, I've been able to get like these opportunities. And I, I looked at it and I thought, wow, my peer group's really changed by being able to interview these guys. Wouldn't it be great if I could do the same for clients? And I'm thinking, I, you know, I want Apple as a client. I would like to get Qantas as a client, SAP as a client. So I decided to start a podcast interviewing uh, chief marketing officers and, you know, these guys would, wouldn't talk to me if I messaged them and say, hey, I want to talk to you about your LinkedIn marketing. But when I asked them if they want to be on a podcast um, and they looked at my profile, quite impressive. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just interesting. Every single one of them at the end of the call. So, Nathaniel, tell me more about, more about what you do, you know, and these are huge opportunities. So I think that, you know, just it's just a networking that, that has come out of it has just completely transformed not only my business, but my peer group as well as the people that I surround myself with. One of the things I noticed too early on is when I had nothing to say or to write, and I still do this to this day, I would always post relevance, you know, since I'm a marketer and I like to target yeah. marketers uh, content from, from all these different, you know, other reputable sources. And I would do that periodically when I found if I did it more often, my reach would also sort of expand just through that. And one opportunity I, I got probably in, in 2015 is this company out of India, a consulting education, reached out to me, asked me if I wanted to uh, teach for an online marketing boot camp. Basically, their target was North Africa, Middle East, uh, where the professionals came from. And I'm like, sure, you know, I'm in Florida, the USA, I'll, you know, I'll do it. I had to get up at like four in the morning and teach for a couple hours. And then that opportunity said presented itself. And after 10 weeks, they said, hey, we'd like to send you to Dubai and do an online site workshop in Dubai. And I'm like, yeah, sign me up. And so I went and did that. And that ended up being three different, one of three trips uh, of doing workshops in the Middle wow. East. And all of that started was on LinkedIn, never knowing who might be on the other end, who might be seeing it, and come to find out it was a recruiter that came in and, and reached out to me through that. So, you know, I think there's all different types of successes that you can have. Some of it is yeah. just building a personal brand. Some of it is very strategic outreach, kind of what, what you were talking about, you know, and uh, I know you've yeah. talked about Apple and, and that was a... You know, share a little bit about that because that's a huge, huge, obviously, company that, you know, of a success story that you have. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, like, when I was targeting these guys, you know, I I look at their marketing department, and you'd be amazed how many people are in Apple's marketing department in the you know Australia or APAC region. And so, I'm literally firing off hundreds of messages to people that work at Apple, and it, and it got to a point where they actually were discussing their LinkedIn inbox with each other around the water cooler, and they're like, "I've got this message from this this LinkedIn guy, Nathaniel," and they're like, "Oh, I've got one too." And so they they got me in there because I was I guess I was practicing what I preach. But like you know, even with these interviews that I'm getting, like I look at how many times like I I did try a lot of ways, different ways to approach people. And I think you've got to approach people by adding value. There's a there's a story I want to share with you guys. It's a little bit off 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 what you uh, mentioned, but um, there was a company that came to me that's um is a startup and they they have e-bikes and with uh, they wanted to raise a million dollars in startup capital within six weeks. And, you know, I just thought, well, there's no other way to do it other than unless, you know, you know, people already then then through LinkedIn. And, and what's interesting is investors that generally have, you know, investor in their headline or angel investor or you know somewhere in their profile. And so we were actually able to profile a lot of people that, you know, are looking for startups to invest in um, very quickly and approach them. And he managed to raise just over a million dollars in that six week period, which is I mean, I, I was amazed that um you know, the result, obviously, it's a good investment opportunity. But I mean, where else in the world can you go from not knowing any, you know, where you're going to get the money from to being able to literally raise, you know, a million dollars within six weeks? I mean, it's just phenomenal. It, it, it blows my mind that people still go to face to face business networking breakfasts every week when you've got, you know, 670 million people at your fingertips on LinkedIn. That's a real key point that you bring up now. And particularly with the impacts of COVID-19, I think a lot of those group gatherings, who knows when we'll get back to it, if we'll get back to it. Do you see an opportunity for using a platform like LinkedIn even more so during times like this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So 30, within the first couple of weeks of COVID, we saw the amount of social media activity increase by 30%. But, you know, like it's not like it doesn't mean that your results going to improve. But they're on there looking at news and stuff. So they're not necessarily ready to buy right now. But the brands that were consistent during COVID – that didn't disappear, that, you know, didn't panic and fall off the radar, build a lot of trust The people that, you know, just actually reached out to their audience and, and asked, well, how can we help? They, they you know, did really well to um, continue their reputation. I think that moving forward, you know, we were already moving towards uh, social media becoming more and more important. I think it's just been escalated now with um, what's happened with COVID. I, I think that uh, live events are fantastic, but I just don't rely on them, you know, on their own. Like I so say, I would try and do live events with my social media audience so I can build a closer relationship with those people. And I want to connect with the same people that I'm on, you know, with on LinkedIn, on Instagram and Facebook. I just want to like create a really good relationship with these, with this audience that I have, this targeted audience. Whereas I think a lot of people think about it going, well, I'm going to get these guys from Facebook and I'm going to go get these guys from an event rather than actually going, how do I not only grow my audience, but how do I create a deeper relationship with them so that, you know, like they, they, they like you and they trust you and they're more likely to buy from you than the next guy. What is one takeaway that you'd like somebody to have listening to this? If there's one thing that they learned about LinkedIn, what would that be? Um, I think quality of your network is something that you don't want to just leave up to chance. I think most people, when they log on to LinkedIn and they're like, okay, I'm going to do some stuff on LinkedIn, LinkedIn's the place to be. First thing they do is they look at the connection requests and they go, oh, look, I've got 12 connection requests and they accept them. And then you hear people go, oh, you know, I've had 4,000 people add me and you, you know, they're building this network and they're being very reactive. If you, if you use the advanced search feature on the free LinkedIn and you know exactly who your target audience is. And like, if you don't have a niche, I'd encourage you to think about getting one. And, you know, if you target CEOs of mining companies in the US, you can, you can isolate um, the CEO the, as a job title, mining as the industry and US as the location. And then you do the search. All the people that show up will be, first of all, the first connections that you already know, then your second degree connections. So the people that they're low hanging fruit, they know people you, you, you know. And what happens is as you start to connect with more of them, you'll be able to find more people in the search results. But you're building an audience then that's that's an asset for your business. Like a social database, I think, is way more valuable than an email database because, you know, 30% of emails are no good after a year. Whereas on social media, of course, like it's, you know, it's always going to reach them. I think that it becomes a big asset for a personal brand if you can build a targeted, you know, um, group of people. But 
most people they go, oh, I've got thirty thousand connections, but they were like they're all over the place. They're very reactive. It's very difficult for them to engage them all because they they don't know who they are because it's just such a mixed bag. They never built it proactively. Um, so I think you know if you can be the 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 one guy that actually takes control of who he's going to market to, then everything else will flow on from there, and you'll be able to create much more relevant content, and you'll find you'll get a much better outcome. What's your biggest pet peeve that people do on LinkedIn? Uh, engagement pods. Have you heard of these things? Yeah, I have. Explain a little bit more about those. Well, given that um, posts that get engagement quite quickly will do well, so we might join a group and there might be you know fifty people in the group, and every day we can share a link in the in the group chat, and everyone will like and comment on your post. And in exchange, you would like and post, you know, comment on them. So what's happening is instead of the value that I'm providing for your comment being my content, my content's good, so you, you comment on it, the, the value becomes, well, I'm going to comment on your stuff, so you comment on my stuff. So then all of this content, which is just not necessarily very good, it could be complete crap, and a lot of the time it is in this engagement pods, getting all these likes and comments so they seem quite popular. Um, so the, the people that are doing it are using it to either manipulate um, potential clients into thinking that they're really good or popular at what they do, or they're, or they're just trying to amplify their reach. And it teaches the algorithm that your content is best suited to people that not aren't necessarily your customers because you know they're not engaging with the content for the value of the content. And I think I think that even bigger than those two things, like if you're not getting any real authentic feedback from your audience, you don't know whether or not you're improving. So you're actually not going to get any better. So you post every single day. You spend two hours liking and commenting on everyone else's posts. Most of them are probably not relevant. And then at the end of two years, when LinkedIn finally, you know, up, cuts all of this out and updates its algorithm, like you know we've seen on every other platform, then you you actually don't have any skills either because you never learned what your audience was interested in in the first place. So I, I think that you know hacks like that they only work in the short term. Um, long term, you know, it's just the same as Instagram influencers that board all their likes. It's just the same as black hat techniques on SEO. Um, you know, these things, these things do occur. But unfortunately, I hate it when I see a client that goes, Oh, wow, look at, you know, this guy is really popular. Um, I'm going to go spend, you know, some, some money with him quite often, quite a lot. And, and then they, um, get a bad experience because they were sort of manipulated into thinking that they were quite, quite popular and good at what they do, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. You know, the, the engagement pod, I understood it as definitely a way of a uh, gaming the system, trying to, you know, get your reach expanded out there. What I didn't really think about is what you talked about, just about how you're not really necessarily finding your target audience necessarily with how the algorithms go. And that was interesting because that part I actually didn't never really thought about. I just thought about it. Hey, this is a great way to to expand mm. your reach on that. So, um, well, I so mean, you could if you had a targeted group, I think if you had a targeted group, like it could work. It's just it's just depends how it's managed. Uh, the ones that I've come across, they just they're, they're not managed very well. All they're concerned about is that they get their likes and comments are not actually concerned about how relevant it is, which you know conflicts with linkedin's objectives my biggest pet peeve is in the headlines when somebody starts and talks about how many followers they have in their headline <laughs> and and that just kills me because i'm like you're using this as if it's facebook or heck even twitter and not on linkedin so that was that, my that's a red flag that when you big get red flags from guys like that you you don't accept them you're like there's too many emojis in their headline like honestly you know um things like that you just got to uh, you could you spot them a mile away, um, and uh, yeah, they're probably just gonna waste your time because they they're literally sitting on LinkedIn, yeah, wasting time because they're not doing any business, and that's what people are doing. Like the people that aren't struggling to grow their business are just scrolling all day long, and um, they can they can suck up a lot of your time if you let them. So you hit on a couple things that have been a consistent theme of our podcast, which is the importance of authenticity in the messages and the content that you're producing, but also in knowing your audience and knowing the subsets or the, the sort of the, the micro niches, the, the small segments of that group that are, that are so important. Are there, do you take time to go through and trim your, I mean, with 30,000 connections, obviously, you're not, it's hard to accept yeah. new ones and, and keep on pace with all that stuff. Do you go in and trim on a certain interval yeah. to make sure that you're connected with the right people? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I still want to be proactive. Like if I'm going to train a superannuation company, you know, I want to be able to connect with the people that attend the training. So I'm, I, yeah, I always do. I'm culling. And so I just, I'll do a search for, it's interesting. I used to search for people that would be the ideal client. Now I'm searching for people that will not be the ideal client, you know. And, you know, I get some people write to me and say, why did you disconnect with me? Um, unfortunately, you know, this is, this is what I'm using it for is for my business. And if they're, you know, if they're not in my target audience, then, then I would prefer to prioritize somebody that is, they, they can still follow you. They can still consume your content. It's unfortunate that you just can't connect with them, but maybe that, maybe that'll change in the future. I'm not sure. But yeah, I definitely do. I do go through and color because I, I wasn't, you know, like extremely disciplined with how targeted I was right from the start. I've kind of learned that as, as I've gone. And, you know, I've, I, I was connect, uh, accepting a lot of connection requests at the start from people that send them to me. So, yeah, I'm getting a lot of people out of my network that are in countries that I don't deal with, um, in industries I don't deal with, and, and are sending out spam messages and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, Nathaniel, one of the things that we talk about on the podcast is we have a segment called Keep It Light. And the idea behind it is what are you binge watching or reading these days? It's a way for us to sort of relate to the audience, let them know that we're, we're regular people. So what do you got? So I am reading Principles by Ray Dalio at the moment. Very interesting book. I found it to be very good so far, and it seems to be a New York Times bestseller. I, I love what, doing personal development stuff. I mean, the last thing I watched was Tony Robbins went live last week for five days over COVID. I'm seeing some great content from Martini, John Martini, during COVID, talking mm-hmm. about you know how to not let it stress you out and how to deal with your emotions during this period. That's fantastic. And I also checked out Grant Cardone's 10X Growth Conference with you know guests like John Travolta and Mayweather. And I mean, I just think what he's done is, is absolutely phenomenal. We talk about um, guys that have taken content marketing and, and really I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's done really well. I mean, he, he's definitely got a very unique brand, but geez, he captures attention and he seems to hold on to it. So he's doing very well. Chris, what about you? What are you binge watching or reading? So I've actually had this book in my Audible library for a while and I just got around to it. It's called Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. And it's written by Kim Scott. She actually narrates it as well for Audible. And I, I got to say, it got good reviews. There's a lot of books with good reviews on Audible. This this might be actually one of the best books that I've read in the last 10 years on business and management. And particularly if you're leading teams and, you know, when it comes time for annual performance reviews and whatnot, it's, it's always easy to talk about the good stuff, right? But it's very hard to talk about the bad stuff. And yet the problem is... You're not doing yourself, the company, or the individual any favors by not having those conversations. And she really makes some great points in this book and talks to you about ways to have those conversations so that everybody comes out more productive. So truly one of the better ones that I've read in a while. What about you, Ryan? So one of the things that I've kind of taken up watching is on Disney+. Plus. It is Into the Unknown. It's the making of Frozen 2. Yes, I know. It's Frozen 2, it's Disney, and as Chris and I discuss, you know, we have kids. However, you take that movie of, like, Frozen 2, what this is is a six-episode series, and it gets into the Walt Disney Animated Studios, where you can actually see how they created it with from the directors, the animators, uh, the music, and how it's all created. And you actually stop and, and think when you watch this, you know, what hour, I'm guessing 45-minute movie, something like that. And it was years and years in the making. And you see these different animators and they're drawing with their pens on their, their, I don't know if they're tablets, computers, whatever it is. And what's interesting is then they get the feedback saying, okay, your scene has been dropped. Well, that scene that animator was working on took two months and it was three seconds of the film. And all that work is now gone. You come to find out that's actually, while it hurts for them, it's not uncommon for them to to you know experience that you know in their careers, and you just see the the writing, the directing, and the music, and how it evolves from day one all the way up until the movie premieres, and it really gives you just a different perspective of what goes behind the scenes of making for this you know a movie and a musical with it. So 
it was pretty cool. It's not something that happens in a year or two years. I think at one point, I think it was like up to four years in the making of this, uh, yeah, of Frozen 2. And the big stars, you know, Idina Menzel and Kristen Bell and Josh Gad and, and the others, they come in every six weeks for several years. And they might do two hours of lines. They might do eight hours worth of lines in the, in the studio. And so you just get to see it behind the scenes. So I highly recommend uh, if anybody who just forget the frozen part of it, but if you love to see how things are made and what goes into it, very well produced. And I think it's good for all businesses because I think even if you're not making a movie, you can understand when you're launching a campaign, how you have to be fluid and change things all throughout. So go see it. Disney plus it's uh, the making of frozen two into the unknown. Now, aside from books and the makings of movies, what about podcasts? What podcasts do you listen to to stay in touch and keep up up to date? Yeah, I li- I, I listen to the Tony Robbins podcast most of the time. Like he, he's he seems to have quite a high standard for the the guests he has on. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk from time to time. Like I think that um he's quite it can be quite repetitive. So. I tune in and out of, of Gary B just because I'm in the social media industry. I kind of, I kind of get it. Um, I've heard a lot of his stories, but he's, you know, exceptional at what he does. I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, Seth Godin, if, if, if I ever get a chance to listen to any of his stuff, then I'm jumping on it. And I'm doing a lot of audio books at the moment as well. I've, I've just actually just dived into like how to manage a team more effectively because I've had some issues internally and just, so like, I think when you, you, you um, come across challenges in business and you just want to like master that area. And at the moment for me, it's, you know, team dynamics and things like that, which I'm finding fascinating, but I, I don't really read fiction and stuff like that. I'm, I'm kind of always want to read stuff that I can put into practice right away. I'm with you 100%. Uh, a couple of those, I'm the same. I, I have Tony Robbins, and I don't listen to all of them, but if there, I do download, and if there's something that, you know, in the description that jumps out, I'll listen to uh, listen to Tony Robbins. Gary Vanderchuk, I'm exactly the same with you. I'll come in and out. It is a little bit repetitive, although I, I kind of like his style a little bit. Joe, Joe Rogan's good as well. Joe Rogan. Yeah. Joe Rogan. There you go. Uh, I even listen, I've even listened to Mike Tyson's podcast. He's pretty good. Really? <laughs> he, he's always he's always stoned when he does it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's trying to make a comeback. I believe at 54 years old, he's he's talking about making a comeback. Um, yeah, good on him. <laughs> yeah, those are a couple of the same ones I do too. Probably additional ones I kind of listen to would be uh, Amy Porterfield. I am a big fan oh, yeah? of her. And from a Facebook online also, there is uh, Rick Mulready who is in california as well the art of uh online business and then uh michael hyatt actually chris turned me on uh, introduced me to uh michael hyatt who's out of uh, tennessee does a lot of productivity so those are just some of my favorites chris what are some of the ones you listen to the most so you know this but i listen to all the same things that you're talking about i mean that's i think why we're so in sync on this stuff is because we listen to a lot of the same people but if i had to pick one from an entertainment standpoint that i would that i would throw into the mix i would say i grew up in the 90s and was a fan of wwe wrestling and there is a me too yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Love, love that chris jericho has a podcast called talk is jericho oh, really? he interviews you know rock stars because he's uh he's the lead singer of uh, Fozzy and he also gets a ton of wrestlers on and he interviews guests he might be one of the best I've ever heard he's just so entertaining for an hour that I I love it it's a great show oh cool I'll check it out well here's a little backstory you know came up same thing was a, a Hulkamaniac as a little kid. Not that I would wear this stuff, but I just love watching uh, the Hulkster come to find out that he lives uh, not far from uh, here in the Tampa Bay area. So when I learned that as a kid, I thought that was just, you know, just amazing. WrestleMania was scheduled to be in Tampa in April of 2020. And Chris and I were like, you know what? Screw it. We're going. And so we had our tickets. We were going. And then obviously everything got postponed and who knows if they'll even ever come back again for it. But th- there's our little wrestling uh, backstory there. Yeah, I was a Brett, the Hitman Heart fan. I was um, living in Hong Kong and, and they came and did a couple of tours. So I did see him him wrestle a couple of times. But uh, yeah, I, I love wrestling. would play with the toys for hours um, on my own. My imagination would run wild. Yeah. So wrapping this up, Nat, if people wanted to learn more about you, 
where should they go? How do they find you? Well, I think you know whatever uh, social media platform that you like to consume content on, you know, Instagram, I'm Nat Bibby. Uh, YouTube is where you will find the long form uh, contents, my keynotes, all my long form interviews. My name, Nathaniel Bibby, and then you know LinkedIn. Obviously, I'm posting stuff uh, all the time there, but it's you know it's not as easy to find a library of content like it is on YouTube. And then what I've done is the all the YouTube long form videos that do you know really well and they're quite popular. I've I've turned them into a podcast. So the Nathaniel Bibby podcast has. Uh, you know, a lot of long form content on it as well. If anyone wants to dive deep into, you know, social selling and LinkedIn marketing, like it's, it's a great way to learn. I think while you're exercising or cleaning or walking your dog, you can, you know, I, I, we're doing that right now. I think podcasts are going to be huge in the future. Um, and, uh, yeah, I put all my best content on, onto the, um, to the podcast channel. Matt, thank you awesome. so much. This was fantastic. I, I, I had a blast for the last hour. Look, thanks so much for the opportunity, guys. I think what you're doing is awesome and uh, really happy to be a part of it. Thank you very much, Nat. We would like to hear from you if you heard something that you loved. Better yet, if you heard something that you disagreed with, let us know. We'd love to get your feedback. Please send an email to podcast at araxum.com. So that's podcast at araxam.com. Also, please hook up with us on social media. You can hit me up on LinkedIn by searching for Ryan Smith Marketing, or you could even do a little toolbar search in LinkedIn for Araxam, A-R-A-X-A-M. Additionally, if you're on Twitter or Instagram, my handle is the same. It's Ryan Smith F-L-A. That's R-Y-A-N-S-M-I-T-H-F-L-A. And I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can reach me on Twitter at Real Chris Casale. That's R-E-A-L-C-H-R-I-S-C-A-S-A-L-E. And if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We hope it'll enlighten your day because remember, it is our mom's favorite podcast. And now that we've had Nathaniel on the show today, hopefully it's his mom's favorite podcast too. And on that note, Chris... Thanks for listening, and we hope we'll talk to you next week. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at cactusslimrecords.com. The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album Message. Learn more at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you for listening.